Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. We're going to jump in just a minute to our scripture readings, and then I'll have them come forward. But I want to take a minute and uh, echo Sarah's welcome, first of all. So if you're new with us, so glad that you're here. We'd love for you to fill out one of those Connect cards. I also want to say how awesome it was to have our youth band this morning, the energy. Oh, my gosh. It was so great. Thank you all so much. Um, and, uh, and then I want to share a little bit about what we have in store for this morning. So we will anchor our time in the scriptures here in just a moment, but we have a special uh, guest speaker this morning, and we've been talking about these invitations from Jesus in Matthew 11 this entire fall. So I don't think I'm breaking any news to anybody here, uh, but we have that fourfold invitation from Jesus uh, as we Think about building a big enough table to hold up this great feast that we're invited into. The four invitations from Jesus are come to me, right? Be with Jesus in a prayer-filled life. Walk with me. Become like Jesus through a deeply formed life. Work with me. Do the things Jesus did as we have a kingdom-directed life, and then watch how I do it. We follow the Holy Spirit uh, that we might take on not only the form of Jesus, but also the way of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus. And so that's what we've been talking about. We're in the work with me section of uh, our sermon series, and we've been looking at this through a couple of different angles. So a few weeks back, John Ott spoke to us about discernment and just discerning not only our vocation, but also just the, the, the things we are to do and are maybe not called to do, even though we could do them, even though we can see them. Uh, and then last week, we talked about discerning direction in daily life, uh, how we might hear and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, that we might only do what the Father does. And then today, we're going to think about one other angle of working with Jesus, which is that we believe God is at work to set things right, to renew, to reconcile, to redeem. Jesus is bringing heaven to earth, and that work has already begun, and one day will come in full, and we as the church get to co-labor with God. We get to co-create with God. So as we talk about working with Jesus, what we're talking about is, is also that we might actually say, Jesus, what do you want to do in this world, and how might we join in your work to set all things right? So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Keith Jennings is going to be leading us. Many of you know Keith. Keith is a beloved member of our parish community. The entire Jennings family is uh, so core to this community. And Keith, I've been excited for weeks for you to share with us. And also, this is coming in the midst of an incredibly busy run for Keith. And so I'm just thankful that you are investing of your heart uh, with us this morning and, and grateful for that. So having said that, let's jump to our scripture readings and that will guide our time this morning. And now, Kai, you may come forward. I promise not to change, uh, change course on you again. And John, why don't you come up also? Kai's going to read from the book of Amos in the Old Testament. That is a book from the Bible, Amos. Uh, <laughs> we don't read from it often, but I promise it's in there. And then we'll go to the book of Romans. When we get to Romans, uh, we'll have our New Testament reading, but I guess it's not from the Gospels, so we don't need to stand. So, okay, two readings, and Kai will take it away with the Amos reading. Seek the Lord and live, or he will break out against the house of Joseph like fire, and it will devour Bethel with with no one to quench it. Ah, 
you that turn to turn justice to wormwood and bring righteousness to the ground. They hate the one who reproves in gate, and they abhor the one who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and take from the Levi's of grain, you have built houses of hoonstone, but you shall not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions, and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and push aside the needy in the gate, Therefore, the, pr the prudent will keep silent in such time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. Just as you have said, hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Let love be gentle, genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers and bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another and do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This is God's word for you. Be to God. How are you? Everybody doing well? I'm going to get three quick things out of the way. First, as I sit down, yes, I'm wearing Mr. Rogers' socks. Um, uh, it's from a, a guy named John Cronin, John's Crazy Socks out of New York, and his uh, motto in life is to spread happiness through socks. So if you've ever heard of him, look him up. It's a beautiful, socially oriented uh, company out of Long Island, and, and the story's really touching. Number two, uh, I'm the third in this Work With Me series. And uh, when John Ott speaks, it's like fine wine. When Jordan Warner speaks, it's like fine wine. I'm more like moonshine, okay? <laughs> So I just want to give you a heads up of the uh, energy pivot that may happen there. And, and it will come with a bit of an accent. That's okay. All right. And, um, and, uh, <laughs> and third, I want to point out that I'm going to be sipping so I don't get choked up. But I always carry around my, my Gandhi mug that says, be the change you wish to see in the world. You'll know that quote. But here's the funny part. Uh, this mug has come to represent what I want to talk with you about today. First of all, the name Gandhi is misspelled on the mug. It's a typo. And no one has ever proven that Gandhi actually said this. So we have a typo with a quote that may not have ever been said that has come to represent a beautiful idea in the world. And that is exactly what today's topic is about. How can messes like us 
uh, have impact and, and do good in some way, shape, or form in the world. So with that, uh, when Jordan reached out and said, you know, I think I'd love for you, if you're interested, to share a little bit, you know, about, uh, about service, about, you know, active ministry, about justice, about peacemaking, about things like that. Um, I said, sure. So just to let you know, I've prepared an eight-hour introductory talk today. Are y'all ready? Uh, this is a massive, this is a massive topic. It's massively complex. Um, it's got centuries of theology. Uh, it's got centuries of, of political layers to it. It's got centuries of cultural layers to it. So there's, as we kind of enter into this, how do we move from kind of contemplation to action and kind of begin that dance in our daily lives. Uh, this, is a, this is a huge topic. So as I kind of thought about how to approach this and, and kind, of in, kind of introduce this and, and talk about it today, first of all, I, I want to come at it out of respect for who you are and what your values are and what your beliefs are. Uh, I want to come at it in a way that's clear about what uh, the little bit I know and the lot I don't know. And... Uh, more than anything, though, I want to come at it in a way where, that I hope stirs the Christ in you to want to get out and meet the Christ in others. And if you, hear, if you don't hear anything else I say, uh, that, that would be the key to how we move uh, into this uh, contemplation and, and action dance uh, in our lives. So here's what I'll do. I want to tell you a little bit about what I do. Uh, then I'd like to share uh, a little bit about what I've learned, and I've got some fun uh, interactive ways we're going to do this. Uh, so that's actually the warning for you to think, oh, crap, I'm going to actually have to, my, my brain's going to have to be on. And, uh, and then finally, uh, kind of start talking about maybe what are some steps or some actions or, or some things we need to be thinking about to start taking some steps forward as individuals, uh, as families, uh, and as a church. And so... Uh, with that, so I work for a company over not too far from here on Haynes Bridge Road. It's, uh, if you know where Kimball Bridge and Haynes Bridge connect with North Winds, it's called Jackson Healthcare. We're a pretty large uh, healthcare organization. We're 16 companies. Uh, we uh, bring in uh, over a billion and a half in revenue a year. We have about 1,600 employees that we call associates. And my role there is um, I'm in charge of our corporate philanthropy efforts uh, as well as our uh, social responsibility efforts. Uh, and so part of my job is, in a strange sense, ministering to these 1,600 people uh, to help them kind of find their purpose in life and, and get them kind of looking up from the day jobs and, uh, and, and learning that we discover the meaning in our lives and work in service to others and in serving with others. And so a lot of what I do is helping them kind of find a cause or a purpose or something that they care about and then connecting them in with that. And then the other piece of that, you know, is, is holding our organization accountable uh, for that action. Uh, so we talk about doing stuff all day, but if at the end of the day we haven't at least tried to do something, tried to help in some way, uh, in helpful ways, uh, what, what, what good does the talk do? So that's a little bit about what I do. And so uh, now I want to move into what I've learned. And uh, this is where it will get fun. Are you ready? Uh, the first I've learned is that our brains... Uh, play tricks on us, uh, that we, um, part of our, the wiring of our brain, 
uh, works uh, to, to hurt us and others in some ways. Uh, and then we also have a lot of cultural conditioning on us that causes us to, to cause harm as well. So I'd like to start by talking a little bit about how our brains work. So this is the first hour. I'm just kidding. Um, and so here's what I want you to do is a simple math problem, okay? And I uh, just want you to, don't say it out loud or anything, but just kind of work the problem in your head. I'll, I'll give you a minute to kind of work it out. And we're going to say, we're going to use a, a hot dog and a Coke uh, as, the, as the, kind of the, the word problem here. Okay, you ready? So a hot dog and a Coke cost a dollar and ten cents total. The Coke cost a dollar more than the hot dog. How much does the hot dog cost? All right, so hot dog and a Coke cost $1.10. The Coke costs a dollar more than the hot dog. How much does the hot dog cost? We all know, hopefully, the, the uh, hot dog costs 10 cents, right? That's, I mean, we think about this and the hot dog costs 10 cents. Of course, we're wrong uh, uh, because uh, this is a problem designed to show how our brain functions. And the answer is the hot dog really costs five cents. The, the Coke would have to cost a dollar five because in total that would add to the dollar ten, and the uh, Coke that make the Coke a dollar more than the hot dog. And so this is a fantastic book if you're ever bored, uh, called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Uh, and he uses this example, I think he uses a, a baseball and a bat as an example of how our brains work. And so Kahneman uh, and, and other scientists say that the, the way we've kind of got two operating systems uh, built into our brains, into the wiring. First is what they call system one thinking. It's very fast thinking. It's very unconscious. Uh, we operate over 90% of our day in si our system one brain. Uh, then we've got our system two brain, which is very slow thinking and very conscious thinking. And the difference between these two is when we're operating in, co in system one thinking, we experience what scientists call cognitive ease. And when we're operating in system two thinking, we're, we're experiencing cognitive strain, which is why when we're dealing with a really complex problem, we're kind of working on something in our brains, we just need a break after a while. We get exhausted, and we need to flip back through that. It's, it's why, you know, most of us, you know, have come here for a while. We don't think about when we have to go to the bathroom where it is. We just go there. That's system one brain. But a new person would come in, and on their first visit here, uh, would have to use their system two brain because they're going to have to figure out where the restroom is and where, where the rooms are and how do I get to where I'm going. Um, when we talking about things like social impact, social responsibility, social justice, we're, we're, we're talking about system two thinking. And we tend to approach uh, a lot of our helpfulness and service-minded uh, intentions using our system one brain. Uh, and so the kind of the first thing to think about is that we're just kind of wired to do that. We tend to default to this snap uh, system one brain and we need to take a pause to do this. And we can build in tools to do this. And uh, there, there are many ways we can do this. I'm not going to bore you with that today. But here's an example of system one thinking in action. I just want you to shout out the answer and I promise you I'm not tricking you, okay? Uh, um, all right, so let's just say it together. Two plus two is four. Okay, who needed to take a calculator out or a piece of paper to figure that one out? Anyone? You're tricking me. All right. Um, 
that's system one brain. It's memorized. We, it's, we don't even do calculations. We've got the memory. All right, next math, another one. Let's shout this one out. Okay, 76 plus uh, 3,467. Oh, yeah, all right. That's your system two brain. So what happens is when you heard two plus two, system one said four. It just pulls it from memory, no thinking involved. When you heard the second one, your system one brain said, whoa, 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 that's not me. That's you, system two. And system two woke up and said, okay, hold on. Give me a piece of paper. I need a calculator. Uh, we got some work to do here. And so that's just a quick way of kind of letting you experience kind of the difference between your system one and system two brain at work. Okay. So next word problem, are you ready? A father and son are in a car accident. The father is killed. The son is rushed to the hospital and goes immediately into the operating room. The surgeon looks down at the boy and says, oh my gosh, this is my son. How does that happen? How did that happen? What's going on there? Father and son are in a car accident. And I would say the, a father and his son are in a car accident. Father's killed, son's rushed to the OR. Surgeon looks at the boy and says, oh my gosh, this is my son. I won't give you the answer to that one. I'm just kidding. Um, the answer is the surgeon is his mom. And, uh, and it's fascinating as people are, are given this problem, the vast majority uh, invent adoption stories. Uh, I mean, we, we invent these complex narratives to try to make sense of this. And that's uh, just another kind of quick example that kind of reveals that we just have a lot of built-in blind spots and biases that we're completely unaware of. They're, they're kind of taught to us and conditioned in us from birth. And when we're talking about contemplation, I mean, all contemplation means that at its root is seeing. The work of contemplation is the work of seeing. And so kind of the first work that we really have to do and that God is inviting us into doing is the work of seeing. Uh, uh, of seeing these blind spots in ourselves, of seeing these biases in ourselves, and beginning to unknow and unlearn and unwind uh, what's going on inside us. So I just wanted to share those two examples to kind of tee up this idea that uh, what we think we know and kind of how we tend to default to in our trying to help and in our actions uh, do a lot more harm than good. I can tell you in my role, one of the first things I learned is that as a white male American, I'm completely blind to most of what's going on around me. Completely blind to it, can't see it. And so it, it just really taught me quickly that I've got a lot of work to do on me uh, just to listen and learn and make mistakes and just try to keep uh, you know, unlearning and growing uh, in what, what I understand. The second part is, um, is that a lot of businesses and a lot of churches do more harm than good. Uh, when, they're, when they're trying to help. Uh, and so there are processes. There's great training uh, out there. So if y'all have ever heard, uh, there's this book, Toxic Charity, uh, which is a great one if you're interested in going a little bit deeper on this and learning more. There's a, another great book that's a follow-up to this called When Helping Hurts. 
uh, if you've ever heard of that book uh, or, or interested in reading more about that. I would encourage you to spend some time in those and kind of learn how, um, how that works. One of the first things I learned in the healthcare world is a lot of healthcare supplies are gathered and donated and shipped to countries around the world. And the underground uh, term for it is called junk for Jesus. Uh, and I was like, what is, what is junk for Jesus? And it's essentially, you know, uh, hospitals, businesses, people donate all their broken crap, uh, you know, to help people. And, and really, subconsciously, all they do is getting rid of it and trying to make themselves feel better. Uh, and then they're, they're putting this on uh, other cultures, companies, political systems who are having to deal with this uh, and, and rail for this. Y'all are probably familiar with Tom Shoes. They got a lot of love for, for a long time. But, you know, they really built a reputation for dumping shoes on countries and putting local uh, merchants out of business. Uh, because how can you be in the shoe business if, if you got thousands of shoes being dumped in your country? It, just, it really disrupted the economy. It disrupted people's jobs, their lives. So this idea of kind of starting with, uh, let's start with that system two thinking and understanding what we know and, and realizing it's very little, uh, and uh, there's a lot to learn. Let's kind of start there. And that is, is the work of contemplation. All right. So I want you to close your eyes for a second. All right. I want you to imagine walking into a kitchen. Uh, and on the countertop, I want you to picture a big bowl. And in the bowl is fruit. So you, you see oranges. You see apples. You see bananas. Now, I want you to reach into the bowl and pick up a banana and hold it in your hand for a minute. Look at your banana. Now, I want you to peel the banana and take a bite in your mind. Okay. You can open your eyes now. I'm sorry if I made you hungry. Um, which end of the banana did you peel open? You don't have to say it out loud. But when you watch people... Most people peel bananas from the stem. What you may not know is that uh, monkeys and smart people, which I was not one, I was not one, actually peel bananas from the tip. Uh, first of all, I don't love bananas. I hate the texture of them. And then when you do this job and you're smearing it and smudge, making the thing all gooey, I, I, I hate it. However, if you just pinch the tip like a little cross, it falls open. No smudgy, gooey tip, perfectly intact banana. I learned this at 46 years old, okay? 46, I learned that you're supposed to peel a banana here, not here. So it led me to this question, why did I learn to peel a banana on this side? And the answer is, why do most people? Because, you know, growing up, we kind of learn by copying. We kind of see what the people around us are doing. It looks like that's where you peel your banana from. We may have even been taught to peel the banana this way. And um, that's what we do. It locks into our system one brain, becomes automatic, and that's the way we peel bananas, even though this thing gets stuck on occasion and you got to do the twist thing. Some of you may be even smarter and just do the knife job. That's good, too. Uh, but this really became a metaphor for me for, God, this is how I do just about everything. I'm unconsciously copying things I've been taught um, or seen other people do, which has come in from me watching people who have also copied 
what other people have done that came from other people that copied going back generation after generation that where you get to the point where where did this come where did the where did it come from what was the source what caused that what was the context of what led to that and i love this because as we think about contemplation and action my, my invitation is they're not two different things they're actually the very same thing. You can't have one without the other. Um, I guess you can, but then it becomes, you know, navel-gazing contemplation, right? Or it becomes very uh, heavy cell, you know, conversion uh, uh, kind of ministry type stuff. Uh, and it, it just lacks God in both sides because the, the true work is us uh, uh, coming to the realization that one, we can't possibly know who we are. I don't know if y'all know the song Bittersweet Symphony by The Verb. I love that song, but I'm a million different people from one day to the next. I think we all feel that, that we can't possibly know who we are. We think we know who we are. We try to create these boxes uh, that define who we are. Uh, we also are not who others think we are. Uh, okay. So we're much deeper, way more complex, you know, than, than anything anyone tries to put on us. And so therefore, we can't possibly know others. We can't possibly know ourselves. We can't possibly know others. And, and we certainly know we can't possibly know God. God is immense, He's beyond words for what we have as human beings to, to understand. But we can glimpse God and we can grasp God in little moments. And, and, and many moments added up over time become movements. And so the idea of the banana is, you know, we, our day-to-day -day dance is what I'll call uh, active contemplation, meaning it's an alert. It's an alertness to the coming of Christ. That we're in all times, God is always coming, and therefore our job is to be alert to that coming. And... And that's what active contemplation is. It is, a, is an active listening, an active seeing. And in that, it moves us to a contemplative action, which is not separate from an active contemplation. It's in the seeing that we are, that the call and response happens. That we're, you know, we, we hear the calls, we respond through action. In action, we learn more about who we are and aren't. Uh, we learn more about who God is and isn't, and which leads us back into active contemplation, which leads us back into contemplative action. And, and it's this cycle that if we make it a daily habit and practice that we can really master. So for me, I've kind of learned that the banana uh, kind of represents uh, a few ideas. The first is that our system one brain, our, our natural wiring, tends to have us see everything as objects. Uh, and when things are objects, they're simply tools. They're tools that we use to get things done in our lives, to get what we want. But if we start to see everything in our lives as subjects, infinitely knowable subjects, uh, yes, it's tiring, uh, yeah, because we're, we're now operating more in that system two thinking, uh, but we start to uncover that not only are we not who we think we are and who others say we are, but others aren't either. 
Uh, and God is, is not necessarily who we think God is either. And it's in this, this cycle of movement of contemplation and action that we begin to uncover, that we begin that process of what's called a knowing, a knowing. Um, so, the best way to kind of capture this is, you know, the greatest commandment, which is, um, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Contemplation and action. And when you start to really think about it, both are contemplation. Knowing God with all your heart, mind, and soul is contemplation and action. And loving your neighbor as yourself is contemplation and action. They're not separate. It's all the same thing. It's, it's prayer and ministry. It's solitude and service. Uh, right? And, and so this is the dance that we enter into. Uh, and it's a, it's a beautiful dance. So, with that, that's one of the things. I grew up uh, like Southern Baptist. Uh, then I went a long way away from that. Uh, and then I uh, got into like John Wesley. It uh, was, uh, you know, in the Methodist, United Methodist Church for a lot of years. And then I took a break from that and, uh, and uh, saw, uh, heard an interview by Eugene Peterson um, where he said, uh, they said, how do you pick a church? And he said, um, here's what I recommend. He said, pick the smallest, closest church to your house. Uh, you see where I'm going with this. And uh, commit to it for a year. Uh, and, and if after a year, you know, it just doesn't work, then go to the next smallest, closest, you know, closest church to your house for another year and just kind of try that. So, you know, we were, we, I heard that, and I remember Tracy and I kind of talking about it, and we're like, well, we know some people at that parish, and that's close, and that's small. Um, we should do this. And so it began the journey for me. I didn't know a lot. I'll be quite honest with you. I didn't know a lot about Anglicanism. Uh, I knew John Wesley was an Anglican, you know, from, from my prior studies and all that. So it really started this new journey for me uh, into the Anglican tradition. One of the things, I don't love everything about anything, uh, and there's problems with everything, but uh, one of the things I find beautiful about Anglicanism is it's called the middle way, uh, and it embraces all extremes, and I really like that. I, I liked that Anglicanism as the middle way, it's not, it's not contemplation or evangelicalism, it's both, it's all. It's that, it's that whole spectrum of it. It's not, you know, progressive or conservative. It's, it's all of it. It's the whole thing. It's, it's the, it's the, it's, we're, we're accepting all that. And, uh, and if you're familiar with the Compass Rose, there's this beautiful thing. If you just Google Anglican Compass Rose and look at it online, it kind of shows you how Anglicanism in practice tries to be the middle way between all these extremes. Uh, and I really, and I really like that. The idea that I love about it is going back to where we started, which is we tend to see everything in our lives as problems, when in fact most of the stuff in our lives are tensions. And there's a big difference between problems and tensions. A problem has a cure. Uh, you can fix a problem, it goes away. Uh, a tension, if it's a tension, it's not fixable. It's not going to go away. It's going to always be there. Uh, so, so whereas problems have a cure, tensions need care. Uh, tensions need ongoing care. 
And, and the thing I've kind of learned, you know, as I'm going deeper and deeper, you know, into the Anglican journey and into my, my own journey, is that uh, this practice of, of, of active contemplation and contemplative action is really holding attention in our day-to-day lives uh, between seeing and doing and, and realizing that you can't do one without the other. I loved seeing the high schoolers. We couldn't have picked a better Sunday for the high schoolers to lead worship because, admit it, y'all had to been nervous. Y'all, okay, see the head shaking here? All right, so they do this at home, right? They play at home, they love music uh, and all this, but to, to stand up and lead worship, that's, that's action, right? So as much preparing and love and passion that they have for, for music and, and performing and stuff that they may work on at home, the, the, we got to experience the beauty of them saying yes to standing up here today and taking the action of sharing that with us. And in doing that, they're going to grow, learn more about themselves, grow deeper in their, their abilities, their understanding. And it's that contemplation and action kind of movement. So with that, uh, where do we start? Where do we go from here? What's a good place to start? And you notice I spent a whole lot of time not talking about things we could be doing. Uh, because if we start there, we, we already are leaning in to the blind spots and biases that are just built into us. Uh, so the real start is saying, oh, we've got to see in a new way. And in the seeing, it will be, you know, we will start to see in, in, in a revealed way where we should be taking action. And so the question is, where should you as an individual start leaning in and taking action? Where, where should you as a family start leaning in and taking action? And, and where should we as a church start leaning in and taking action? So I kind of have this model in my brain. I just call it, you know, spirit-directed, uh, Christ-modeled, contemplative action. Uh, and and spirit-directed is, is, is what John spoke about two weeks ago, you know, as he's talking about vocation and calling and, and, uh, and, and Jordan as well in this talking about discernment. Uh, Spirit-directed is knowing that it starts with us trying to understand what we know and a lot more about what we don't know. So let me ask you a quick question. How many nonprofits do you think are in Fulton County? Throw it out. Let's go. Give me a number. 200. 700. 2,000. 2,000. All right. This is, this is, we're getting back to the moonshine here. All right, let's go. All right. Anybody else got a number? All right, let's, let's, let's hold that one. Put it on the shelf. We'll say 2,000. What do we say, 200 to 2,000? Okay, put that on the shelf. How many nonprofits in the state of Georgia? Got to be more than Fulton, right? So start there. Somebody say 10? Do I have 10? All right. Say. Y'all are shy. Come on. Be bold. 50,000. Okay. Let's put that on the shelf. How many nonprofits do you think are in the U.S.? How many? Two million. That's a lot of nonprofits. 501c3 registered nonprofits. All right, I won't bore you anymore. 
uh, because we have work to do. Um, we have action to go take after this, right? Um, uh, about 15,000 nonprofits in Fulton County. It's just under that, but it's pretty close. A uh, little over 78,000 nonprofits in the state of Georgia. Uh, 1.5 million nonprofits in the U.S. And no one really knows, but the, the estimates are between 10 and 15 million nonprofits worldwide. So how on earth, and this is what I ask our new hires, uh, how on earth are the 15 to 1,600 of us going to make a dent and even 15,000 local nonprofits? How are we going to do that? And so let's even ask that question. So how on earth is the parish going to make a dent in that? And the first answer is spirit-directed. It's, it's focus. It's focus. And, you know, Jackson Healthcare, uh, we, we did a lot of thinking on this. And we're like, as a healthcare organization, we feel a responsibility to get healthcare to people that don't have access to it around the world. And so one of our focus areas is we're going to find organizations to partner with who are solving, who are getting care to people around the world. Uh, and that has taken on some, some beautiful, beautiful kind of partnerships uh, that we've had. The other is that we want to improve the well-being of young people. Our founder, uh, our chairman and CEO, grew up as a foster kid in Atlanta. No family, uh, and somehow, that none of us still quite understand, uh, has become a guy who is literally trying to, to find home and help for every foster kid in the state of Georgia. So a lot of what we're doing is we're looking at how can we partner with organizations and others to help young people, children and young people, who don't have a, that family support system or don't have, and or don't have that community support system in place, and, and how can we help without hurting, uh, which is a, a lot of, you know, what I do uh, in my job is trying to crack that code, better understand that, and then try, try and measure things as we go. So spirit-directed starts with focus. And so for you, for your family, for our church, you know, where is God calling us to focus? And I think that's a question we need to ask and answer uh, as we go forward here. Where is, where is God calling us to focus? The second is Christ modeled. Uh, I told Ivy I was going to call on her. Would you, if you get a chance, check out Ivy's shirts. Brian Stevenson quote, I love it. The opposite of poverty is not wealth. The opposite of poverty is justice. Uh, it's a beautiful quote, uh, and there's, a lot, there's so much depth going on in that. Justice, there's two definitions of justice, right? Justice means to punish, or justice means to make right. Every single use of the word justice in the Bible is used in the context of to make right. All of the work of Christ is making things right, uh, that's what we need Christ to do in us, and that's what we need the Christ in us to help uh, do uh, you, with the Christ in others. And so, um, you know, I'd say we live in a world that seeks separation and superiority. We do. We're all wired that way. Uh, we, like, we like to be safe and apart, uh, and we like to feel important uh, in, in various ways. So, so we live in a world that, that seeks separation and superiority, but we're children of a God that seeks uh, community and communion. Uh, and the root words in community and communion is the word common. It's the word common. 
uh, means same as, shared, equal, equitable. Uh, all of those things uh, that we've got to hope we're learning more about and starting to lean into. And so, you know, it's, it's, I love that you wore that shirt today. Uh, if y'all saw me during the singing, I was like, we're going to talk about that. But, um, uh, but the idea is it starts with what we have in common, what we have in common, uh, and, and what, what are the things we share. And when we see each other as subjects that are, who are infinitely knowable rather than objects uh, to be used, it's a good start. It's a good start into that dance of contemplation and action. So um, my question is, you know, where is God calling you? Where is God calling your family? You know, where is God calling our church? Uh, let's, let's ask that, let's, and let's start to lean into to an answer to that. Let's, let's actively lean into an answer to that. And, you know, the bigger question is, where can the Christ in you meet the Christ in others? And it it's, it's, can start in solitude, but it's not really there. It's in communion and community. So with that, I will uh, I'm say, we'll say a prayer, and then uh, we'll turn it back over to Jordan. Dear Lord, we're so thankful uh, for every moment you give us. Uh, we just ask that you uh, continue the work in us uh, to, to see who you see us as, not who we want to be or who we see ourselves as, and, and help us start to do that with others. Uh, help us start to see who you really are. Uh, and just use that, Lord, to, to, to move us toward loving action uh, towards and with others. And we pray that you bless our church. We ask that you start to, to move within us uh, to help us understand where, where you'll have us to go. Uh, and, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.